Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, the Association of Common Sense Masculinity is proud to present the exciting, the thought-provoking Can-Am Soup, an entertaining, genuine, and often meandering conversation between two friends. And now, the stars of our show, Jeremy Gertz and Todd Fuss. Hey, hey, Todd. How are you doing, buddy? Hey, Jeremy. Pretty good. How about yourself? Good, good, good. I, uh, real quickly, I got a, we got a delivery coming. We, we bought one of these squat racks, so there's going to be some delivery guys showing up here in, I don't know, 45 minutes or something like that, but uh, just I'll have to duck out then. But how's your week been? Oh, uh, kind of stressful. Haven't been able to sleep much. Oh, no. I mean, it's stressful because I haven't been able to sleep much. Yeah, yeah. Um, after 30, I, I started really enjoying sleep. Yeah. Not that I don't want to sleep all the time, whether it's four hours, six hours, 12 hours, doesn't matter. It's just I want it to be quality sleep. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of I, – I think that's probably like a huge – I think that's one of the underlooked things for overall health, you know. It doesn't matter. You, you talk to anybody about basic health and it – you know, the different diets can change. Like, oh, you should do keto, you should do this. You, you know, you should do weight training, you should do cardio, you should do high intensity. You know, there's a lot of variance. The one thing that all of those things always seem to have in common is make sure you get enough sleep and drink enough water, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I. Uh, it's pretty funny. Um, quietly, under the surface, uh, actual dietary medical professionals not just a somebody with a certificate from a correspondence school that calls himself a dietitian or uh physical like a physio doctor uh, are but a real doctor right mm-hmm. that are in the science of uh sports and recovery and all that they're like meh water meh just drink water it doesn't you know you don't have to kill yourself with it yeah. Uh, and almost everything we drink is 99% water anyway. Just make sure it doesn't have, like, I don't know, alcohol and a whole bunch of caffeine. You can have a cup of coffee. It doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, like, I, I don't know. When I drink water regularly, I actually do feel better. Oh, no. I, I As long as you're hydrated, yeah. you feel a lot better. Yeah. And as long as you're clearing out the toxins from your liver. Mm-hmm. If you can, you know, that's great. Yeah. Make it feel better. See, when I was a kid, my, like, I don't know if it was just nobody talked about it then, but I was never, ever encouraged just to drink water. Like, I literally never drank water. Oh, growing up in the South, playing outside all day, you just drink from the water hose. Yeah. Um, let it run for a while until it gets chilly, and then drink out that water hose like a dog. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was yeah, I, never so, so hydrated as I was as a kid yeah. or in basic training. Huh. Because they forced you to drink. Yeah. Not so much anymore. Hmm. Yeah, the standards are low now. <laughs> oh, no. It's, they they killed somebody. Oh. Well, they that, they are low, they have to lower the physical requirements for joining the military all the time. Because <laughs> people can't cut it anymore. Oh, no. They had to... Well, as far as the service I was in, they lowered it because they had 
bailing female standards. Oh, God, no, now you can't have that. Yeah. And uh, like with women in the past that wanted to join men's sports, they're like, but you have to lower the standard. No, I don't. Yeah. Just like 99% of the men can't play this sport because they're not um, enough of a physical specimen. You certainly aren't. Yeah. No, I agree. It's crazy. Except Rosie O'Donnell. She could play offensive line. That pig. <laughs> I, haven't, uh, I haven't heard a thing about her for years and years and years. I, I know. She, she's the like only thing loud... I've heard about her is coming from me with fat jokes. But you know. Nah. She's such a loud, boisterous woman. Like, oh, I can't stand her. Ugh. I saw, never, I haven't seen her, but I saw Ricky Lake on uh, Celebrity Family Feud. Danette likes it, so I watch it with her, you know. Mm-hmm. Kind of forced, but oh my, she's a monster now too. Huh? That's crazy. You boy, I, I said, wow, have you come a long way uh, since uh, hairspray? Yeah, yeah. Ooh. That's crazy. A lot of Big Macs since hairspray. Yeah. You know, it's uh, it's crazy. It's man. So, right before that we started recording today, you said. Uh, you're yes. interested in doing a topic today, which is uh, very you ironic. Don't... Very ironic. Why? Because when we started the podcast, I was in favor of um, yeah. coming up with topics, and somebody was like, no, you know, that'd be okay, but don't let me know, because I want this to be very... Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I, I know I, every I, once in a while topics <laughs> are great, because as we found out the first show back, we kind of run out of stuff to say. Yeah, and then also... Occasionally. Like... And then it'll keep us on track because I, I know like the last episode, I did it, you did it, and then we go do it together. We just take these rabbit trails. It's like, wait a minute, what were we talking about? So I think this might be good. And, you know, it's not like we're going to be like, this is all we're talking about, but we can kind of try to crawl. And this may not be a long discussion. So I haven't, for the, the listening audience, I haven't told Todd yet, but last night we were watching the hockey game and there's a commercial that came on from the government of Canada. And it really shocked me, but it's also something that I have been in full agreement with for a long time, but it's been a very outlier thing. And there's a website they promoted called getprepared.ca. And this was a little commercial where the guy's like going and the power goes out. And he, like he's with his family watching TV, power goes out. He goes and grabs a flashlight and they've got a little backpack a little, and then grabs some cans of food and puts it in there. I'm like, holy crap, this is a prepper commercial. And prepping has been um, a weird, it's like a little weird subculture, right? For so long, it's been just a bunch of weirdos. I personally consider myself a prepper, but I'm always afraid to say that because (laughs) you watch doomsday preppers and you see these guys building castles and having three wives in case one of them dies. You know, the guy married, there's one prepper and the guy married his wife's twin in the event that she died he could continue uh, producing children with her sister. See, that's that. Like, I see preppers like that. I'm like weird. But first question I have for you, Todd: Do you prepare for stuff? Do you consider yourself a prepper at all? That's a tough question because I prepare, but I'm not a prepper. Yeah. See, the you way know, I don't that... consider myself to be a prepper, but I consider myself to be a dude from decades ago. Yeah. You know, you know how to work on a, a variety of things. Uh, you know, 
as long as the car has a carburetor, I can fix it. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't have a $3,000 scan tool to fix modern vehicles, but, you know, I could probably get by. Yeah. Uh, and the, you know, and see, I could build a house. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah, yeah I mean, skills are different than prepping, in my opinion. Uh, they're they're different but they're also together like you know so many preppers they buy all the gear they have all this stuff and it's like oh i've got four years of food this and that but literally they they can't like you say they couldn't fix anything um and i think like when you're talking about scan tool that that to me doesn't fall in line with what like a traditional prepper like preppers preparing for something bad to happen right i mean if everybody car like if your car's not running and you can't fix it you're not in a bad situation unless like you live in your car, right? You well, know, that there's certain skills I don't think you need as a prepper, like being able to fix modern equipment. Cause, cause if something were to happen, everything's down and there's nothing you could do to bring it back. Oh no, I got you. Yeah. I was going to say something. Then I realized I w- that would have been dumb. Oh, yeah. um, so the way I consider myself as a practical prepper, and it, it's things like, so legit here, I mean, we've been on a warm spell, but, you know, we'll, it'll be like minus 25 for three weeks here is our warmest temperature. And so when it's that cold, I mean, in all the vehicles, I've got booster cables, I've got a tow strap and a first aid kit. And mostly the booster cables and toe strap are for me. Like if, I, if I'm in the ditch, any truck that drives by is a potential to pull me out, but most people don't have a tow strap. So... By me just having a tow strap in there, I increase my chances of getting out exponentially, right? I mean, I'm not going to tow anybody out of the ditch with my minivan. <laughs> it's not going to happen, but I could be towed out by a truck that drives by. And so to that end, and also I'll tell the kids, say, you guys have to have a winter jacket, you have to have gloves, and you have to have a toque. Even if you don't wear them, you have to bring them into the vehicle. Because if we're driving along and we're 20 minutes from Strathmore, we're 20 minutes from Calgary, or like where we live, you know, we're 20 minutes from the nearest town and all of a sudden the van dies or we slide into the ditch and, you know, the radiator gets gummed up and we can't run the vehicle. We could potentially have to sit here for an hour while a taxi came and an hour and minus 25, <laughs> you're going to get cold, you know. And so stuff like that is, in my opinion, practical preparations, right? Like I literally, I prepare for hitting the ditch or being stranded in the wintertime. And it's happened to me. I, I went and photographed the wedding, and I actually got stranded in a, a town. I could come home. It was only half an hour away, but they'd shut the roads down. And I'm not joking. There were six-foot-high road dr- like drifts on the road. There's nobody that could leave. It took them two days before the, the farmers could get all the roads open with their big equipment. But I guess to that end. So do you do anything like that? Like, like um, Yeah, I have got uh, emergency kits made up, one for me and one for my wife. Uh, and in that emergency kit is, uh, I guess, survival water packages, yep. food, the space blankets, uh, you know, stuff. So you are a prepper. Well, not a, I don't <laughs> consider myself to be doomsday prepper. Yes. yes. I certainly am not uh, preparing myself for the eventuality of zombies. Yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> Uh, oh my God! You know, if anybody needs deserves to be lobotomized and put away, it's that guy that's going to be on that new TV show. In fact, everybody on that TV show. What TV show? Oh, I'm a werewolf. No, I'm a vampire. There's somebody that's going to be on this show. That 
literally thinks she's a wolf. Uh, guy thinks he's a group of people that are vampires. And, yes, they do drink blood. And there is a oh. soci- uh, subculture that does that. And then this guy that believes that we're going to be overrun by zombies. I'm like, no, yeah. we're not. Yeah, that's so funny. If nothing else tells me that zombies will never happen, if nothing else, I don't know what the other side of the argument currently for the last two years is calling science. Um, you know, because if your body's decaying, your muscles aren't going to work. So go, you know, F zombies. Yeah. Sorry. Not going to happen. Yeah. Not traditional zombies. Um, if you're talking about brain dead people wandering around the streets. Yeah, we've had that for decades. Yeah, it's called government. Yeah, go to Seattle, go to Portland. <laughs> yeah, go to Ottawa. Go to Ottawa. Yeah. Oh, it's okay. Before, more. I know we might have to do a short one today, but I've got to talk to you about uh, a Canadian TV show we just watched, binge watched, but that can wait. Uh, do you want to do that real quick and we'll get back to our topic? Okay. Okay. Um, Intermission. We're talking about. Folks that are northwest of you, very far northwest of you. Okay. Uh, in the jade mining industry. Yeah. Oh, my God. Good show? I thought so. I thought they were fascinating people. What's it called? J- uh, jade mining. Hmm. Uh, What's it on? I just been, I downloaded the whole thing and watched it. Uh, but I think the little, the, the, the network's logo that they watermark in the bottom corner was a clear maple leaf, a see-through maple leaf. Really? Yeah. Oh, weird. I've never heard of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, uh, which is weird cause they're, you know, almost, I mean, they're very far up in, uh, British Columbia, I think. Yeah. But the guy who started the company, who's now, which is the star's dad, anyway, uh, is clearly French Canadian. Hmm. You know, because he has that French Canadian accent. Yeah. A, but the woman (laughs) looks like a Yeti, uh, but she's so cool. And I'm like, you know, that's a hardworking family. Yeah. Now, their son needs to be, I don't know, go through the hammer bath, but because huh. you know, he's hardworking, but he's also spoiled. Yeah, and he think, and he's the whatever the new generation is. That's twenty something, you know, mm-hmm. nineteen to twenty five. Yep. Whenever this was filmed, whatever that generation was, is Ugh, so. What have you done this job for thirty years, Dad? You don't know more than I do. Hmm. Did you just hear yourself? <laughs> Did you? Yeah. Ugh. Huh. Cool. But then Maybe Grandpa shows out. up, and everybody believes everything he says. I'm like, that's weird. Hmm. Cool. But the only uh, flaw I saw in the whole show was they couldn't find Jade. They couldn't find Jade. Their Chinese uh, backers were going to pull out, and they were going to lose their million-dollar mining season and so dad shows up and he's like oh 
He's just got a little rock hammer. He's going around tapping on rocks. Oh, to find Jade, all you have to do is hit the drop. Really? Really? <laughs> they couldn't funny. fit. You didn't tell your kids this? Yeah. And you know he did, right? Yeah. They're just doing this for the show. I know. I'm like, but you know how dumb you make these people look? That's a hard that's a hard thing I have with reality TV is that it is is getting so stupidly scripted that it's like ugh, sorry. Sorry. Oh I'm, my god. There's a woman that used to be on one of the uh big reality shows here, uh the original uh Housewives of Beverly Hills. Mm-hmm. And she was on another uh a for charity game show, right? And she was the celebrity guest. Mm-hmm. And they were talking about it, and she, and something happened during the show uh, that she was on for charity, you know, something really funny. And then they were talking about it after the break, and she's like, "Yeah, you know, Mike, and he's the director of whatever show she used to be on. Um, yeah, if you uh, deviated from the script at all, he'd." And she caught herself at that point because she just admitted, <laughs> "Yeah, this script." show that was the original housewives was never supposed to have been scripted ever yeah and that's what they touted back then and she just admitted the whole thing was scripted and they couldn't deviate oh that's funny yeah it was yeah it is i'm like ha ha told you yeah that's why i like youtube so much better than tv but oh uh, yeah that's all real Uh uh-huh yeah yeah well (laughs) back to prepping do you have other preps like here's one question do you have food storage of any significant I never amount. did, but when the uh, Wuhan sniffles showed up, yeah, we did. Now we're getting out of it, and I'm I'm trying to convince uh, the spousal unit to get back to. We need to have a backlog of food. Yeah, <clears throat> and this, you know, I, I heard <laughs> this news, and it kind of ties into it. So. The Canadian government, and same with the U.S. federal government, they're trying to make it mandatory for truck drivers to be vaccinated to cross the border. And they're like, there's a bunch of like people in Parliament and stuff pushing, say, "Hey, whoa, whoa, you can't do this because if they decide to do that and they make it mandatory, there's going to be a massive shortage, <laughs> like products going each way." And I, I think I don't know. I, I have no clue whether, just assuming we get more products from the United States than the United States gets from us. I don't know that, but that's my assumption. Either way, there is a certain sense that we we rely on each other, and I, I say rely loosely, like we've agreed to do trade, right? So it's like, yes, I'll get this from you, and we, you know, we probably sell a lot of wheat down south because we grow a lot of wheat here. Um, but that's kind of what me, got me thinking, too, is like, so if there's going to be, if, if the government's going to do, well, they always do stupid stuff, but if they're going to limit transport and trade across the borders based on a driver being not vaccinated, because there's a lot of truck drivers that said, I'm not getting vaccinated. And they're like, a lot of analysts are saying if the government goes ahead and does this, they've got dates in place. They said, if they continue down this road and then do this, there's going to be huge uh, supply chain problems. And I'm like, holy crap, that, that, you, you know what, we have started... We've always had, like, we have six people in this house, right? And now I've got two teenage boys that eat more than I do. Um, We go through a lot of food, and we live out of town. So we go to Costco once a week. Like, that's that's it. Like, we get our basics at Costco, and we probably go to another grocery store in town once a week. But just to kind of ease up, you know, we've always had a full pantry. Like, in all of our houses, we always had a walk-in pantry that's stocked. Like, Steph likes to have... 
okay, she wants a whole bunch of cans of tomatoes so that at a moment's notice she can make a pasta sauce or a pizza sauce or chili, whatever, right? Like the staples. But then the whole pandemic happened and, and everybody starts freaking out. You go to the grocery store and there's like empty. It was funny because my dad called me and he said, Jared, you, you got enough food? I'm like, yeah, we got lots of food, right? He's like, well, why don't you go buy some food? He goes, <laughs> he says, do you need any money for food? I'm like, no, dad, I don't need money for food. He goes, because you should go buy like $5,000 worth of food. And I'm like, we got a lot of food. We went out and I think like literally you just went and bought like, I don't know, two or three grand worth of food as, as much as we could. And then the shelves started being empty, right? And we weren't worried. I was like, no, nah, I think we're good. And uh, it's funny because we don't do it as a fear of what's coming. We do it as a reality of how we live. Like we literally, you know, I don't know if people say if you have a couple and they live in an apartment downtown Calgary, I would assume that they would have enough food for them for a week or two because that's not a lot of food for just two people, right? And it's just the scale of our family. So I, one of the things I've done over this holiday is I've prepped a big, huge room in our basement and we've got storage. And so now I've got like tons of storage. <laughs> we're, man, we're like, I, I would probably say we have of the basics like rice, beans, you know, dried beans, canned goods like tomatoes, uh, you know, the, the basic staples. I think we probably have six months worth of food in our basement for our family. Now that's not meat and that's not like dairy and cheese. But that that's kind of prepping, isn't it? Yeah, but still good prepping, not. Yeah, I'm not buying like four billion rounds of ammo ever, you know, and I don't know. It's weird. I think there's a difference between being prepared for eventualities. Mm-hmm. And I like, yeah, I like how you put that. You know, because, you know, I think when people say, I'm pre- I'm a prepper, yeah, where's your sea can buried at, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, oh, but being prepared for eventualities, I think is what we all should do. Mm-hmm. If you have a family, especially, if you have loved ones, if you love yourself, you know, mm-hmm. and, and one of the main ones that Americans are woefully unprepared for is do you have enough money in reserve to last three to six months Mm -hmm. if you lose your job and all sources of income. Do you? Well, no. Well, don't come to my house. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's funny because being prepared is, in a way, it's countercultural because I might believe that the culture nowadays, I mean, (laughs) I think we're a bunch of degenerates. You know, the, the thing right now is like instant gratification, right? I want it now. I want pleasure now. I want fun now. And that is, that is at odds with being prepared, right? Cause to be prepared means, Hey, listen, I'm going to save, I'm going to, you know, take some of my money that I could be spending on a good time. I'm going to buy something for the future and just have it away just in case. Well, it's, it, there's a word that, uh, I didn't really fully understand until later in life it was in its moderation yeah everything in moderation right well not everything but uh if you're moderate you can do both Mm -hmm. you can put some and say and i i met somebody when i was very young over in england that did and they're 
it's a a subculture of English people that they get their wage packages on Friday, and half of it goes into like the vacay account because mm-hmm. then they're taking one extravagant vacation per year, them and the family, and then they work like slaves the other every you know the other fifty weeks of the year. Hmm. But anyway, so if your entertainment is, I like, I like to go to major league baseball games. Okay. For every game you go to put that much money in saving. Mm-hmm. If you do X, okay, do X, but for every X you do equal that in savings. Mm-hmm. Well, I can only have half the fund, but you'll have twice the savings, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And and it's sad because humans suck enough where they don't appreciate savings till you don't have it. Yeah. Yeah. And you suffer. Mm-hmm. You know what a super simple thing that I've always done with my, my parents told me this when I was a little tiny kid. Well, yeah, little kid. They always, I never got allowance. I got wages. So if I didn't do my chores, I didn't get my wages. I never, ever had an allowance because <laughs> they said, you're not entitled to a thing. <laughs> We're not going to give you anything. But, um, 10, first 10%. Yeah, look, look, because we're Christians, the first ten percent we tithe, we give away. Second ten percent is for savings. Third ten percent is to spend as like crazy money. And I know most people can't do ten percent, just mad money. And then the remaining is what you you know use for life. And my parents made us put the remaining of it into a separate bank account. But um, you know, it's just so simple. It's like okay, well. Give your, you know, give away 10%. And the first, the first thing you do with your money is you need to give it away. Cause what that does, whether, whether you believe in anything like spiritual or not, it gives you the sense that I already have enough. I can actually give it away and you feel well off. You feel wealthy. Even, even if you only got a hundred bucks to your name, if you give $10 of that away, you're going to be like, wow, I really, you know, I'm in such a good place that I don't need all this for myself. And it instantly creates a very deep seated attitude of contentedness and and assurity it's really weird but you do that then next 10 percent goes to savings because it's you know that's your your minimum savings account and then i, I think this 10 percent is hard sometimes the first two you could do easily uh, you know i i don't know what everybody's financial situations are but you know just from seeing what numbers are and then i look at the inflation i like i, I filled up my doer yesterday with liquid nitrogen 191 dollars the last time I filled it up, which a couple months ago, was $140. A $50 increase. Anyways, but seeing stuff like this, I think it's getting tough for people, right? Like, I think there's a squeeze on. And it's, I mean, I can't believe how much we're paying for gas now. So I think that 10% might be hard, but, you know, you got you to gotta give yourself a little bit of mad money. Even if it's like, you know what, you get 20 bucks a month. You're like, I, I call it mad money. It's like, if I want to go buy... I don't know, whatever it is, something stupid, you go buy it, you know? Yeah, <clears throat> we call it that too. Yeah. And then the rest I, of it, I mean, you got to use to pay your bills and, and live life, you know? Yeah. The person that introduced me to the concept of mad money kept a couple of $100 bills folded weirdly in his wallet in different places. Yeah. He probably had three or 400 in his wallet at any time. Yeah. Just mad money. So yeah. if he saw something he wanted for... 200 bucks, he had it. Yeah. And then slowly he'd, you know, re- replenish that. That's a cool thing to have it folded differently. I like that idea. 
It, um, it, well, he had it folded and hidden so his wife didn't take it. But <laughs> I got you. I got you. Yeah. It's, it's important, you know, like sometimes you'll find a bicycle on Kijiji on the weekend. <laughs> and it's like you, my bank, I've got a $500 uh, withdrawal limit per day on cash, which is stupid. It's at an ATM. I mean, I can go in there and get whatever I want. But, you know, you'll see uh, if, if I don't have any money and there's a bike for like 700 bucks, I, I can't go get it on a Saturday or Sunday. Because like my wife and I, all of our accounts are joined and it's $500 per, it's not like she can get 500 and I can get 500. We got 500 between us, which is, it's dumb. I got, but, um, anyways, it's like, man, I got to keep a, <laughs> got to keep some money on hand in case I find that bicycle deal that I've been looking for for the last four years. Yeah. We keep a small cash reserve here at the house. Yeah. It's not a lot. So if you want to come rob us people, don't. And not just yeah. because they don't have a lot of money. It's because they have a lot of guns. Yeah. That's right. And I know how to use most of them. So yeah. <laughs> really well. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> in fact, no. Well, at least come visit me one at a time. Yeah. That's funny. I haven't shot anybody in a long time. I, I miss it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, crazy, you know, Todd. And I, we're not rich by any stretch of the imagination, but it is nice. It fills my heart with joy that... I worked so hard in my life that I can put, you know, five grand in a hidden place in the house and then forget it's there. Yeah. Not forget it's there, but you know, it, it slips your mind cause you're not worried about it. That's not what you're dependent upon. It mm-hmm. really is for an emergency. Yeah. You know, oh. if, if the air conditioner goes out on Saturday, I can pay the guy in cash, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh Yeah. Emergency funds so important. I guess that's kind of prepping too. I, I listened to a podcast um, with Dave Ramsey. I think everybody knows who he is. Um, and I, I read his book, like the Total Money Makeover. And you know, that's one thing he said back when he wrote the book. He said everybody should have a thousand dollar reserve. And I think it it's probably needs to be more than that now. But for something like you know, example of the engine goes in your car. Well, <laughs> I don't know anybody that would fix an engine in a car around here for grand. Right. I think here your minimum emergency needs to be $5,000 because I always look at it and say, okay, if I rely on my vehicle to get to work and my vehicle just flat out crashes, I need to be able to go out that night and replace that vehicle with something, something reliable and something safe. And that's going to cost you like two to $5,000, you know? So I'm like that, that literally needs to be your reserve, your cash on hand. But I guess it is part of prepping too, right? Kind of ties into it. Yeah, I, uh, mm, yeah, <clears throat> I know somebody had a Honda back in the early nineties, yep. really small, that little small Honda that got like 55 miles to the gallon. Anyway, uh, engine blue, no apparent reason, right? Mm-hmm. They were always careful with their car, kept it up, but the engine went out. They're like, uh, his next door neighbor happened to be a mechanic, a real mechanic, worked at a dealership. Like, yeah, that that's it's gone. Sorry, you know, and it'll yeah. cost you X to fix it. Well, the guy don't have X. We went down to the, you know, you pull it, uh, junkyard, mm-hmm. and a exact year making model of his car had just come in with rear damage. It was totaled from the rear. Yep. Guy didn't know how to turn a wrench to save his life, but he's like, I have a wrench. You know, I've got a set of tools. 
from mm-hmm. my dad. And if I go to the junkyard, I know what an engine looks like. Mm-hmm. And whatever's connected to the engine, like, anyway, he figured out how to pull the engine, pull his, put it one in, and it was fine. That's cool. And I know this, and I wasn't able to help the guy because I was at work. And the amazing thing about all this is he did it in a day, in a one twenty-four hour period. Oh wow! And and he had to because had he been late for work the next day, he wouldn't have a job. Yeah. Um, and we worked at the same place, and otherwise, I would have helped him. But we yeah. were working opposite. Uh, shifts at that time yeah that's cool but uh, yeah um that's about the only amazing thing lynn ever did Mm. (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah the guy was drummed out of the army uh on a dishonorable oh wow (laughs) yeah he's just a i thought he was a pretty cool guy he was a little bit older than me we were friends worked together but the longer I knew him, I'm like, God, this guy's a douchebag. Uh, wow. <laughs> I think he was in the, because um, we met at church, and he was, um, his sister was teaching me how to uh, play the drums mm-hmm. at church, people. Don't don't get the wrong impression. Uh, so I think Glenn was trying to change his life. Mm. I really do, and I could see it. Cause he would tell you the stories about when he was a, you know, a real jerk. Hmm. And he's like, you know, I, I don't feel really good about that. Yeah. Uh, but it was a slow process for Lynn. Hmm. <laughs> right on. <sighs> yeah, no, it's uh, you know, the other side with prepping just ties into what you just said. There is that, you know, a lot, a lot of people, I, I find this on YouTube. There's certain, I won't say them cause like I've, they had some pretty big, YouTube channels and legit the whole thing's just filmed in his basement and you can tell that he's not getting any physical activity like this guy's actually well, he's he's fat he's a big fat guy and he's got a I don't know I haven't heard, looked him up I haven't seen his channel in years but I remember he had a very popular YouTube channel and all he did was show gear and talk about gear never was the outside like demonstrating actually using the gear but it's so it's a thing where I look at that guy and I would feel very safe to say, and yes, I'm casting judgment on whatever. I, I don't care. That's how you get by in life. I would say that he has no skills. He has this stuff. He reads reviews or whatever, and then makes a video about it and how you could potentially use it. Would he have, I'm just making a judgment here, but to, to prove the point that, you know what, just, you know, having a bunch of stuff isn't all there is to it, right? Like food, water, yeah, that's basic stuff. If but it's who I'm thinking of, and I never watched him, but there's a, like somebody exposed him, allegedly. Oh, okay. Because he was getting tons of, he was discovered as a, hey, this guy's a, he wants to be a prepper, he has interest in prepping, and he's a competent presenter. Mm-hmm. He makes concise clear videos you can understand him yeah he's believable to a certain group yeah we're gonna pay him a crap ton of money to promote our product Uh, okay yeah in the prepper industry right yeah and he never once had said it in fact he would say he wasn't Hmm. blah 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 and i'm like well that's 
a lot of YouTubers. Yeah. Especially in the prepping, homesteading, and gun community. There's a lot of them out there that take corporate money that say they don't. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, and, you know, like, having all this crap is useless, right? Like, and then, like, you were talking about earlier, you've got skills to fix anything with a carburetor and stuff, and it all has to come together, you know? Even, you know, a, a, and practical prepping. Okay, there's a winter blizzard and the power goes out. Um, you know, if you, if you've got a generator and if you know, you could, you could literally figure out which outlets in your house you need and you could just kind of jumper wire things together. Now, is that the safest thing? No, but a little bit of a uh, knowledge of electricity could make a huge difference. You know, it's like, oh, cool. I can hook up a generator, even wire in my own switch so that if something does go wrong, I've got a small generator i can pull the string fired up and keep the furnace running keep the fridge and the freezer running and lights in the kitchen and this outlet boom your house is set nothing's going to freeze no food is going to spoil you could live without electricity for, you know what i mean indefinitely in, in that situation but um yeah i don't know it's it's a combination of of putting things away and also having the skill set to do it you know I think guys like you and me, we definitely have skill set. Like, I mean, we work with our hands. We're blue collar folks, right? But uh, it's a, I imagine it'd be intimidating if you're pencil pusher and that's all you've been. I mean, you've been a pencil pusher. I've been a pencil pusher, right? But we came. Oh God, they're just too so so different, and it's tough to fit in if you're one with the other. You know, yeah. I was forced to, so I didn't have a choice uh, when I was in the military, but. And I think that's why I succeeded at it, because I was forced to. Yeah. Because I never wanted it. I would have quit any other job. Yeah. Um, but I love serving my country, and it still allowed me to do the other thing I did in the military twice. And uh, that's what I live for, you know. Yeah. I joined to help protect the America, and I was able to do that a couple times, literally. So I was lucky. Mm-hmm. But fitting in, if you're a blue-collar guy and you're just it, broken, nasty, ugly fingernails, scraped up, callous knuckles, and you go in there and you're like, oh, look, here's a computer. You're going to help on this criminal case, which is the first thing I did is help uh, on the prosecution of a uh, guy that was into child pornography. Like, the hell did I get into? Mm-hmm. But, you know. That was tough. Yeah. But I did it. And yeah. I think it's easier to go from mechanican, working with your hands, to white collar than it is the other way. I agree. Because you know as a wrench turner, there's nothing, there's no amount of um, uh, cover-up yep. on working on that engine or that jet or that, you know, whatever, right? Yeah. So you're going to do the best you can, and you're good at following directions. Mm-hmm. Read, watch, and do. Yeah. And you're good at figuring out things that you don't have instructions for. Yeah. Now, you take that that mindset and go into the white-collar world. I think you're a lot better off in your toolkit than if you're a white-collar person going into mechanican or working with your hands because – and if you start off in white collar, the first thing you learn is, you know, how to cover up your uh, 
inabilities mm-hmm. your, um, where you lack. Yeah. And the system is set up that way. Most white collar places I know, three to one have more people than they need. Oh yeah, yeah. Because you have to. Uh, I say nine to one. That's all. I always say. I you think can... you have demand for stupidity and laziness in the yeah. white collar world. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't know. It is. I, I've always said it. Now I. I haven't seen anything that's convinced me otherwise. Uh, you can fire 90% of white-collar people everywhere, and if you keep the right 10%, the exact same amount of work will get done. And I I wholeheartedly believe that, and I don't care where you are. I mean, I've, I've done work all over the world. I've been into offices all over the world, and meetings, and, you know, meetings with government, meetings with private businesses, meetings with everybody, the TSA, CATSA, all this stuff. Oh my, like by and large, I'd cast a blanket into the room and everyone it lands on is useless. Go away. I only want this person and this person because this person knows about this and he has authority to do it. And this person knows about that and he has authority to do it. Those are the only two people I need to talk to. I'm an expert in my field. And so I, I should be in the room too. So we get three guys that are really good at their jobs. And why, why do we need anybody else? Why on earth do we have consultants? Why do earth do we have these other 17 people? Get out of the room. We're going to take this. It'd be so much more efficient. Yeah, most of the people I saw that had the authority, the appointing, the presidential appointing, they, they didn't know the job from a hole in the ground. Yeah. Which is weird. But And the people with the checkbook have no clue what their job really, what their agency does or how to yeah. do it. Yeah. Uh, I think if you took the... In the, in the agencies I worked at, except for one, you take the people that are boots on the ground, keep them, keep one or two people that whose job it was to liaison between Congress and them or the White mm-hmm. House and them, mm-hmm. and you're good. Get rid of everybody yeah. else. Yeah. And the other agency... Uh, it's a little bit more difficult because it's actually about a dozen agencies all smashed together uh, in a way. They all mm-hmm. deal with aviation, but they're in, they're completely unrelated in job, yeah. and that's the FAA. Because you take yeah. airports and uh, air traffic, they don't do the same job. They're completely different jobs, but they're oh, smashed yeah. together in the same agency. Yeah, because they have their own. Well, we'll take every job that deals with an airport and put it together. Uh, yeah. That's stupid, but whatever. You know, from a uh, appropriations, uh, I understand how they why they had to do what they had to do, but still, mm-hmm. the jobs don't have anything to do with each other, and they fight for money like um, hyenas. Mm-hmm. Anyway, you know what I wonder, like with the. You know, the people that don't need to be there, like the, the people we're talking about, the waste of, <laughs> I don't want to say waste of skin because it's pretty harsh, but the, the people you could get rid of and everything would get done. I often wonder how much of that is one of two things. Oh, this is my buddy. I'm going to give him this job. Or worse, this guy has dirt on me, so I can't, I can't fire him. I, when my dad was an instructor at, say, there was another instructor 
and he caught the dean of the, uh, no, not the dean, the head of the millwright department. He caught him smooching the secretary, right? They were having an affair. Uh, sorry, not my dad. Another teacher did. And went and, you know, found out. Anyways, this guy that had found this guy, caught him in the act, kept a secret so he could keep a job. And everybody knew it. And it was a problem when my dad was an instructor at state. And then, you know, fast forward like 15 years later, I'm going through my program and I get this same guy. His name, his name was Ian. Worst instructor ever. Would never show up. Uh, he always, he faked an injury. Like he walked with a cane and on three different occasions, I've seen him up and down the stairs very quickly without a cane in his hand. And then as soon as he sees you, oh, he's got a limp again. He start limping. Guys just, anyways, I could go on and on about him, but. Anyways, I was in this drafting class and he never showed up. He was the instructor and we got our assignments. Some other teacher would come in be like, well, here's kind of what he was going to tell you about. Here's your assignment. Do the assignment. And it was actually like get graded. You know, at the end of the week, you'd have all your assignments due. And I tried really, really hard. And I, I think I was at like 98 or 99%. I was doing really well. And the, 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 they came at the end of the towards the end of the season and they said, you know what? He hasn't been allowed, hasn't been instructing enough that we can't actually grade you because you haven't been properly taught. So we're going to just take a class average and that's what your grades are going to be. And I, I freaked out. I said, not a chance, no way on earth. You're not doing this anyways, blah, blah, blah. And so I said, get, uh, Peter bag is, uh, is the head of the millwright department. I said, get Peter bag in the room right now. And he came in and I said, no, I said, oh, I'm going to the Dean. And I started getting loud. I was a very polite, quiet person, never swore in class. Anyways, I said, listen up here, Peter. I said, I am not taking an average mark because I've tried hard. And he knew who I was. Uh, he'd known who I was since I was eight years old. And he said, no, you just need to settle down. You need to settle down. And I said, Peter Bag, this is bullshit. And everybody looked at me and they're like, because oh, I'd never sworn before. <laughs> and I said, here's the deal. I know what's going on. I know about you and I know about Ian and I know the dirt that he has on you. And if you want everybody to know about that, then give us a class average. And I said, I am getting my mark. Every student here gets the mark that they earned on their assignments and on their test. End of discussion. And I said, also, I want the Dean. We got, and so anyways, we got Ian fired. They did a petition. I told the other teachers what had happened and, uh, yeah, got him fired. But that's, you know, I mean, he had his job there and he was the worst teacher ever. He'd literally take assignments that uh, instructors would write, like they had to kind of create some of their own material. And he would just white out the names and write his name on it and take full credit for what all the other instructors did. Every instructor hated the guy, but he could never be fired. But then it was, I was so glad. I told my dad, I said, we got him fired. He said, yep. I said, really? I'm like, yep. Because they went through enough stuff and there was, there's crazy stories that went on for years and years about the guy, but. He was one of those ninety uh, percent of useless people that have a job because they got dirt, you know. Pathetic. Oh yeah. Um, what I saw in the government again in the agencies I worked at, where the lower the rank, those were the friends. Mm. There are exceptions. Once you had dirt on somebody, if you got the dirt when you were a little bit higher up, you went a little bit higher. Yeah. If you came directly in at a higher rank. That was a friend or an appointee, but hmm. uh, I saw that, and I got in last year, uh, and it was a highly controversial thing. Anyway, uh, came in as a off the street and into a directorship of one of the 
director Ritz, and the uh, his best buddy since uh, junior high school was the uh, agency he had, and he wound up firing him because he's like, "Dude, you're messing up my shtick here." Oh wow! I didn't know you were this stupid. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, that's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, I just I would you something on Squadcast. Oh, I gotta check it out. Oh shoot, I gotta get going too. This I think the delivery's got the front gate. Let me just see. Send me him. Oh, yes, a Hellion. Yeah, it, today's its release date. Oh, it's a little bullpup. Yeah. Yeah, it's gonna take on the Tavor. He- heavily modeled after the French Famas. Yeah, yeah. Which is arguably the best bullpup ever made. It, but anyway. Hmm. That's cool. Are you buying one, Todd? If I, yes, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I like, said my I like the answer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was an if I yes. <laughs> I like how honest you were. It's like trying to think of things. Oh no, yes, I'm getting one. It doesn't matter what happens. It will be mine. <laughs> there, there are some guns that come out that I'm like you with Surly. You know? Yeah, it's not a matter of if. <laughs> it's if a matter I yes. of when. That's right. Oh, that's a good, I like that. That's where we got to end this show. If I, yes. <laughs> that's good. I like that. We're going to write that down as a Toddism. <laughs> Are you going to buy this gun, Todd? Uh, if I, yes. <laughs> that's cool, man. How long would it take to, to get a hold of one, do you think? I don't know. I got to go to the gun stores around here and see uh, who would have one. So that's a Hellion. If you're listening, look up the Hellion. And you got to keep us up to date on this, Todd, because this is exciting stuff. Oh, yeah. Right on. Well, I better jet outside and unload this stuff. So, But thanks, Todd. It was great talking again. Absolutely, folks. Thanks for listening. And come go back and listen to them all. If you listen to them all, listen to them again. That's right. It's good stuff. Share them with your friends. All that jazz. All right. We'll catch you on the next episode. Bye-bye.